1: Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode of Stuff You Missed in History class is brought to you by Get Your Guide. If you're planning a trip and you are not sure what you want to do when you get there, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. You can make memories from all over the globe with these tours that are locally vetted and expertly curated, all kinds of variety based on whatever it is that you're into. So if it's food or nature or sports, you can immerse yourself in any of these things on your next vacation. So just as some examples, there's a New York City deli food tour or whitewater rafting on the Grand Canyon. This is not just in the United States either. There is a chocolate and patisserie tour of Paris or a pasta making class in Rome. All of this sounds so awesome. You can discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Again, that is (laughs) GetYourGuide.com. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday, everybody. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Tracy, I have to ask you, and you kind of hinted at it, Mm -hmm. when did your family get a microwave? So I... I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but I was born in 1975 and I'm old enough to remember it entering our household and it was too. an Amana radar range. And I actually wonder, now that I think about it, that my, the house that I grew up in was built in the 1950s and uh, we had a dishwasher and I don't really know... I don't remember if the dishwasher was there from the time I was tiny or if they had to do work to make room for the dishwasher. But if the dishwasher was already there, the space on top of it was, like, the correct space to put a microwave. So I kind of wonder if the house was built with the intent that a microwave would go there or if that was just Mm. coincidental. But, um... A thing I specifically remember was my mother's insistence that we needed to stay at least an arm's length away from it yes! while it was cooking. Uh, and I also found a picture of a model of the radar range from that era. And I like—I have a sense memory of you you pulled down a handle to open it, and it was uh-huh. like you pulled the handle down, and it kind of unlocked the door, and it pulled the rest of the way down. Yeah, yeah. I have such a strangely strong memory of shopping with my parents for our first microwave. Mm-hmm. And that would have been, uh, it was after we moved to Florida, that's how you say it. Um, and that would have been 19, at the end of 1980, so sometime after that. And I remember the salesman being like your mom was, where you'd stay away, little missy, like this mm-hmm. is dangerous stuff. And that just, I will never forget like him kind of scare tacticing me about the whole thing but we ended up taking that microwave home and that was that. Um, I have a very ridiculous story about microwaves and experiments, which is that um, when my beloved and I first got married, I had a microwave already and he had two. One was like his actual functioning microwave and one was one that he bought to try to fix up. And so at that point we had three microwaves. So we picked one that we were going to keep. We gave one of them away to the housekeeper at my work at the time. Um, Cause she was moving and she was like, I actually do need a microwave. I was like, great, here you go. Um, and then the one that was kind of janky and didn't work great. We, as the children that we were, we didn't want to give it away to anybody. Cause if something went wrong, we would feel terrible. So we were like, let's blow things up. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so one afternoon on a weekend, we, Went out on the patio, because they're portable. You can cook on the patio. And we put things in the microwave. You're not supposed to put things... You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to put in there. Like, we did the egg and watched it explode. We put a CD in there and watched it spin and spark. That was fun. Um, Yeah, we just did silly things. Nothing, like, cruel or dangerous. Truly, we were, you know, very ready. Brian is... I call him safety pup, because he's very into, like, always being safe. So he had the... The uh, fire extinguisher at the ready, and we just played, and it was very silly and a great start to our marriage. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but um there are some interesting video explainers online if you've ever wondered about that whole you shouldn't put metal in the microwave. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you can, but it's not real smart. Yeah, um, it will basically cause it to spark, and if it's something like a fork that has sharp edges, sometimes those sparks get a little more intense. Yeah. And they can cause a fire. And that's why you shouldn't do it. Also, the metal will actually block your microwaves, so you're not going to cook your food if you put it in a metal dish in there. Um, but, but like the walls of your microwave are metal and they're obviously not exploding all the time. So right. there's some there's a combo of myth and nuance in play. Yeah. There. Yeah. But boy, I'd be lost without my microwave. Mm-hmm. Same. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of reheating that happens in our microwave, uh, including the coffee that I didn't finish and now it's cold and I want it to be warm again. Oh, yeah. Uh, That kind of stuff. I keep thinking about like how revolutionary it was and what it would take to feel that same thing regarding cooking today. And I was like, it really is like if someone was like, no, you're gonna cook in a hologram, like it would just be yeah. like so, which is the most subtle Bob's Burgers reference I have ever maybe made on the show. Um, for any anybody that listens, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I just it's a, an astonishing um thing to think about how quickly it changed the way people perceived the work of the kitchen mm-hmm. and changed it. And it's very, you know, in those kitchen of tomorrow yeah. uh, uh, newsreels. Well, in and microwave. It, it also makes me think about how, um, like, there are a lot of folks who a microwave is a lot more accessible than any other way mm-hmm. you might... Like uh people who are in shelters or emergency housing, a lot of times, like that's that's what you've got. You like you can't have other things. Yes. Um, and so that like it feeds into criticisms that people have about convenience foods. And it's like for a lot of folks, the convenience foods are the ones that are available to them. So chill. Well, and they're also like, if you were on a very, very tight budget and just starting out a household and for some reason you did not have a stove or range. Mm-hmm. A microwave is usually a lot more affordable. Yeah. Um, and an easier way to, like, make sure you have access to hot food than if you had to buy an entire new, much larger appliance. Um, and now there, you know, you can get a microwave for quite cheap these days. It may not have very many bells and whistles, but you can get your food warm. Uh, microwaves, how we love you. <laughs> Ruth Wakefield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel some ways about her, and I will tell you a story. Okay. And I didn't include this in the episode because it was a story that was given to like a leisure magazine anonymously by someone who said they worked in her restaurant. So it's not one that you can easily verify, but it falls so much in line with all of the other things that uh, people have said about her over the years that I, I think it's, it bears merit to discuss it. Um, According to this... Ruth in running the toll house inn was a real stickler about employees not taking any food. Yeah, which I have feelings about to begin with, but sure. that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um like at the end of the night if there were leftovers, they went in the trash. Yeah, which I feel ways about. Yes. I, th- I think we both do. Um And I'm sure in her head that was part of quality control and, like, no one will ever see anything from Toll House that's been reheated, blah, 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 blah. But anyway. There's also some food safety stuff that's legitimate with that. That's totally valid, yes. But apparently there was a night, according to this interview, um, where Ruth was not in the restaurant for some reason. And so several of the employees were like, I would really like some cookies at the end of the shift. Mm-hmm. And so they had asked the kitchen, like, hey, when, the, when we close for the night, whatever's left, will you just put them aside for us? Mm-hmm. And they then ate them after the restaurant had closed, and Ruth came in. And according to this person, she did not say a word. She looked each of them in the eye, looked at each of their plates, never said anything about it, but the next week... There was a deduction in all of their pay for the amount of the cookies they had eaten. And I'm like, Ruth, for real? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, if you think about a restaurant's overhead for like, what, a co- even if it were a couple dozen cookies. Yeah. A successful restaurant, it's nothing. And if yeah. you have good staff treat them nicely so they'll stay your staff. Like, it's, it's striking to me how many former employees wanted to talk to the press all the time. Right, right. Well, and it's in addition to the, like, kindness and fairness to staff, food waste is a big problem. It is a big problem about hunger. It's a big problem about climate. Like, it's a big problem that's threaded through a lot of stuff. There are some misperceptions about what grocery store chains will and will not participate in food rescue programs, (laughs) which gets on my nerves. Because if you're running one of those, it's hard to get started. And I don't want people to be discouraged from approaching an entire chain because people have wrongfully said on Twitter that they don't do that. Uh, But like that kind of stuff, being like, nope, you can't even eat that. We're just going to throw it in the trash. I hate it. Me too. I get it when it's based in the fact of that has been sitting out for more than four hours. It's no longer safe to eat. Or that was on somebody's plate, and that's a hepatitis risk. Like, that's legitimate. Sure. (laughs) But these are literally cookies. Right. That would have been thrown in the trash. So they already have a longer life. Like, you can eat a cookie that's been sitting out generally. Yeah. And they weren't given, they were literally like put them aside, whatever's left over, because we mm-hmm. would like to eat them instead of throw them out. Yep. I, mm. Mm. They do have a very nice shelf life there. What my mother would send me as a care package at various points in my life. Aww. And also, what one of the things that my mother did before I was born, my dad was in the army and uh, he was stationed in Alaska. And like me, as we just discussed, and we were talking about Ernest Shackleton, I don't like the cold. I don't like the dark, neither did my mom. And so she would bake chocolate chip cookies every week to make the house smell nice. (gasps) Oh, there's almost nothing that smells better. Do you have a favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe? I do, and it is my mom's. And it's similar to the Toll House recipe from the back of the package, I don't put nuts in there because I don't want them. Um, But, like, there's some dry ingredient measurements that are slightly different than what's on the back of the package currently. So, like, I don't know if it's uh, an older version of the back of the package Nestle recipe or if it's something that my mom fine-tuned. But I generally put extra chocolate chips in there instead of nuts. So, I have a trick. My favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe is a riff on the one from the Wookiee Cookies cookbook, which was like the first official Star Wars cookbook, Mm -hmm. um, which is a delicious chocolate chip cookie. It is made with a cinnamon in it, and it is half milk chocolate chips and half dark chocolate chips. Yum! But listen, I normally am going to always want salty and buttery things, but when I want something sweet, I really want it cloyingly sweet. So dark chocolate, get on out of here, and instead goes in butterscotch chips. Yum. It's such a rich and beautiful cookie at that point, because the cinnamon and the butterscotch just elevate the whole thing and give it, like, layers of flavor and mmm. Can I tell you a story that unites both halves of, of this episode? Yes. Um, so when I was living in Somerville, Massachusetts, we were on the top floor of a brick building that did not have a lot of shade. And our kitchen became so unbelievably hot that we would go to great lengths to figure out how we would eat for the day without having to turn the oven on. Fair. Which, microwave, right? So, uh, one day, we were at the grocery store, and my spouse, who I love, decided he wanted uh, chocolate chip cookies. And it was 90-something degrees, which meant it was well beyond 100 in the kitchen. Yeah. And I was like, why are you going to turn the oven on? <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this makes no sense. He said, I just really want them. And I said, okay. And so, we got home. We unloaded all the groceries. And he, again, I love him. He left the chocolate chip bag in the kitchen. <gasps> no. So when he went to make his cookies, it was liquid. Um, and so what he made was chocolate cookies with the chocolate like just infused all through it. And that also was also delicious. Also still yummy. Uh I don't I think at no point ever again after that, before we moved out of the apartment, did he ever want to turn the oven on when it was that hot. <laughs> Uh I love to bake and thankfully um last year at Christmas I got a a much nicer range because the one that we got was like Oh yeah 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 when we first moved into this house was like the very cheapest gas range we could get and it just like even though it was new at the time it was it was such a low end model that like it didn't always heat consistent like it was just and now I feel like for the last year and a half I have had like the bliss of a really reliable, Mm -hmm. good oven. And like, it's cookie time all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z I G A Z O O.
0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day.
1: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. This week on the show, we talked about Ivy Ledbetter-Lee, who... Represented a lot of people and industries and organizations uh, on what I would just, as a personal feeling, feel like was the wrong side. Like, when a lot of miners get shot at or killed in the middle of a labor dispute, going to represent the mines. (laughs) Right? Uh, Sure, there's an argument that everybody involved deserves to have some, uh, some you know, competent representation. But man, there were just so many things in his background that were like, and then this industry that was, you know, ha- forcing workers in the mine to build the mine, but only paying them for substances they actually mined. So like any work they were doing building the mine went unpaid. Uh, then making an argument to be like why that was an actually good and reasonable thing to do. I was not fond of that at all. No, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? I'm fascinated by his work. And in some ways, like, I just have an aversion, even though I know at this point it is a part of the world we live in. I'm, f- I'm fascinated and icked out by the manipulation of public opinion in general. Yeah, but in his case, I mean, there were obviously it's there are times when he w- he seemed to be trying to do things that were um not horrible. But then other times where he was perfectly comfortable sidling up to people who were doing things that were, in fact, objectively horrible. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of his things that seem more more positive as far as a contribution to the world still had this sort of. um underside to them where like his work with the Red Cross was about increasing knowledge of the Red Cross, increasing public support of the Red Cross. The work that the Red Cross was doing during the war was so critically important, but it was also about making the United States and the Allies look good. So it was like there was that layer of motivation to it also. Um, There were a few things that came up in the research for this that we didn't get into in the episode um, for a number of reasons. One. When his mother and his father met, his mother was disturbingly young. She was 12. She was not 14 yet when she had her first child. And none of the biographical treatments that I have read really discuss that at all. But I was like, holy cow. I know marriage ages have varied over time. Yeah, but she was so young when they met that he wasn't allowed to court her in the parlor. He was teaching her Bible verses in the kitchen. And that, oh, that all creeped me out a lot. I, yeah, yeah. and like we have no, I have no knowledge. If her feelings on that are really documented anywhere, I I have not ever been able to find them. Um, Where I read about that, was in the only biography of him that exists, which was written in the 60s after his personal papers were given to Princeton. Before that, it was really hard for anybody to find enough information on him to really write a biography. Um, That first press release is not really mentioned by that first biographer at all that I found. And so that seems like something that uh, has been something, a connection that people made later on, possibly, because that was written in the 1960s, and so I found it really interesting that this piece that a lot of people are like this is a hallmark of his career just doesn't appear uh, in his biography, unless I totally missed it somewhere. Well, it's possible too, right? Like, I wonder how much we think about a press release as a an essential part of any publicity campaign or PR campaign whereas then it still probably would have been common but not like you can't do it without one of these sure so it may not have seemed as momentous through the lens of his initial biographer as yeah it does yeah. now when we look back and see oh now it literally everyone does it and you started it yeah and uh and newspapers printing stuff from press releases Without questioning it, like, that continues to be a thing that happens today and continues to be a source of, like, skewed information coming out today. Yeah, for sure. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and
0: Intuit QuickBooks. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your Titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The last thing
1: that I was trying to figure out how to put into the episode, and I just could not put, the. I couldn't find a good place for it to go, He appeared before a lot of different committees and investigations that was like, hey, this huge incident happened. We're trying to get to the bottom of what happened. It seems like this Ivy Lee guy was maybe manipulating the press. We should talk to him. And very often, the questioning started with, what is your profession? And repeatedly, Ivy Lee's answer was basically, I don't know. Uh, like his answer, I, I've would be, answered that before. <laughs> yeah, his answer would be uh, sort of like, "Well, it's hard to describe," and then he would kind of talk around what he was doing for a little bit. And you know, I can sort of, I can, I can definitely see having that happen once, but maybe as it became clear that he was going to be called before a committee over and over again over the course of his career, might have been good. To put together a brief statement to describe his profession, but he didn't want to because then <laughs> they could ask follow-ups. <laughs> um, at the the transcripts for the the hearing about his association with the with the Nazis and the German government, um, parts of it are like really just trying to be like, what is your job, though? Can you tell us what your job is? Well, I advise people. Okay, but how? And then I don't know if anybody else listens to the podcast Maintenance Phase. It's a podcast I really love, and a thing that happens on that show sometimes is that one of the hosts, Michael, will send the other host, Aubrey, um, something to read aloud and Aubrey's voice sometimes will just have this, like, increasing escalation of horror and bafflement at what she's reading. And that was what my brain was doing as I was reading a lot of his testimony. Because it would be like, it would start out like, yes, I, I was working with this trust And it, it would just get farther and farther into something that was unacceptable. Yeah, I was telling the trust how to maybe make Americans stop boycotting them. And my mind would just be like this, increasingly uh, loud uh, and and astonished and horrified statement of what was just apparently coming out of his mouth, <laughs> and and seemingly just not not really batting an eye over what he was saying out loud in front of a congressional committee. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, we'll never know, right? We can't go back in time and interview him. And I wonder if his is one of those cases where he maybe got into the business truly believing that he was going to uphold that statement he wrote about like, no, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to be transparent, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, people become, I don't even want to say people become jaded because I think sometimes some of those shifts in like your integrity can happen in such tiny increments that Mm -hmm. you don't, realize it's happening over time and then it's like yeah. too late and you've internalized it as a normalcy and it's just like yeah I've, I listen I don't I don't really know what I do. People ask me to help and I help and no I don't know. Uh yeah, I think they hated Jews. I don't know. I just wanted them to look good to the US. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> like if he told that to his original 1906 self what would right. that conversation have been yeah it's a good question i there were, i read a couple of references that alleged that he told ig farben that they needed to cut their ties with the nazi party which would not have been possible for ig farben to do but i also was like i don't actually see that reflected in, the, in these statements there right um there are a couple of things where i feel like people really want to try to rehabilitate him because he was such a foundational part of a whole industry that still exists today. And that there are things that float around about him that are, like, not totally accurate. Like, there are people that say, yeah, he was totally distributing all kinds of Nazi propaganda in the U.S. That doesn't seem to be true. Um, But at the same time, I just do not agree that you can give him a pass on representing... Uh, representing the the Nazi government via IG Farben like, right that i don't think you can give somebody a pass on that well it's it's telling right in that testimony what he says is i told them that like anti-jewishness would not fly in the us not this is wrong what the hell you got stop <laughs> yeah <laughs> You gotta stop like, doing it. Oh, I told them they couldn't tell you they do that. Like, that's a very right. different situation. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, many years ago, uh, I went to a Stuff You Should Know live show, and I think the topic was public relations. Um, And he mentioned, he being Josh or Chuck, I don't remember which of them, mentioned somebody, somebody in the long-ago history of public relations and somebody cheered and Josh was like you're going to want to take that back <laughs> <laughs> anyway fear publicist this episode was not a personal slight against you <laughs> um anyway since it's friday hope everybody has a great weekend lined up whatever's happening on your plates i hope if anybody sends some spin your way that is blatantly untrue that you're able to see through it <laughs> Uh, send us a note if you like for history podcast at iHeartRadio.com, and we will be around tomorrow with a Saturday classic and Monday with a brand new episode. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.